a young man went off to college for his freshman year. And after the first year, his parents said to him, What do you know? Do you know more than when you first went? He said, Oh, yes, I do. So he went to the second year of college, and they asked the same question. Do you know more than when you went? He said, oh no. He said, I know uh, a great deal less. Well, said his dad, you're making progress. (laughs) Then he went for his third year. The same question was asked. What do you know now? He said, oh, I don't know anything. His dad said, you're right. He said, now you're really benefiting that you've said, I don't know anything. You see what a college education will get you? It takes you three years to figure out you don't know anything. Do you know that is exactly the same way it is with God's wisdom? Would you read these divinely inspired words with me from 1 Corinthians 8.2? Let's read them together. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Charles Spurgeon has a great, great comment about this. Listen to what he says. He who is convinced that he knows nothing of himself as he ought to know gives up steering his ship and lets God put his hand on the rudder. He lays aside his own wisdom and cries, O God, my little wisdom is cast at your feet. My little judgment is given to you. That is the very first step in gaining God's wisdom for our life. It is realizing that we do not have it. It is crying out, Oh God, my little wisdom is cast at your feet. My little judgment is given to you. This morning we are returning to James chapter 1. And I want us to look at James' message to us about applying the wisdom of God. Now, isn't that especially needed when we are in trials? You can see how these verses follow immediately after the verses about trials. Because when we are in trials, that is the time when we are tempted the most to follow our own wisdom. And James warns us of the danger of that. What we have to do is apply God's wisdom. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1. And let me read for us verses 5 through 8. And notice what God says to us through the half-brother of Jesus, James the Elder. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Bow with me in prayer. O God, how we need to learn to apply the wisdom of God to our lives. How particularly in times of trial and stress and perplexity, when we are tempted to bail out of the Christian life and go the easy way, the way that seems to resolve the problem, the way that softens the road, how much in those times we must resist the wisdom of the world and pursue wholeheartedly, without reservation, the wisdom of God. Teach us how that comes today. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. I want you to notice as we look at this issue of applying God's wisdom, that the first thing that James says to us is we must recognize our lack of wisdom. When he says in this opening verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, the little word if is what is known in the Greek language as a first class condition in Greek. What that means is the writer assumes this to be true of all of us. And the little word any includes everyone, but each one of us, all of us sitting here this morning, must individually recognize this. The very first step to getting help is to admit our need. By the way, isn't that what Alcoholics Anonymous is all based on? Uh, Some of you perhaps have been in those meetings. And the very first thing that happens when they welcome somebody in is that person introduces themselves and they say, Hello, I am so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. And everyone in the group begins applauding because they understand the first step in overcoming any addiction is admitting your need. Do you know that's true spiritually as well? That is true spiritually. You see, as we come into the church this morning, that ought to be our perspective. I should stand before you and I should say, good morning. My name is Brian Oberg and I lack wisdom. And everybody in the church should start applauding. Yay! Pastor Brian gets it. Maybe there's hope for our church after all. That's 
how we have to come. James is saying we cannot have wisdom unless we first realize we do not have it. Now, as we open up and he talks about wisdom here, the question we need to ask is what is distinctive about biblical wisdom? What does the Bible say when it says, this is what we need, wisdom? Well, let's notice a few things here about biblical wisdom. Number one, it is practical righteousness in everyday living. There are two types of wisdom, theoretical and practical. We could call it technical and philosophical. You know, philosophy simply means the study of wisdom. It is how to be wise in living life. And that's what James is telling us here. Wisdom is not isolated from life, but it is designated to help us with the problems and the struggles and the issues of life. If you look up the Greek word for wisdom in a Greek dictionary, here are some of the definitions that you find for it. It is sound judgment. It is practical wisdom. It is practical use of knowledge. And then I love this definition. It is good judgment in the face of demands made by human life and specifically by the Christian life. That's a great definition. Wisdom is good judgment in the face of demands made by human life and specifically by the Christian life so that it is wisdom, practical knowledge in the struggles and difficulties and trials of life that particularly as a Christian, we have to be able to sift through effectively. Second thing about this wisdom, it is divine. It is sourced in God through His Word. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Job, and look at Job chapter 28 for just a moment. Job 28, and notice how in the book of Job we have these questions laid before us as to where is wisdom found. Job 28, and look with me starting at verse 12. Listen to what... The wisdom writer says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me, and the sea says, It is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. Drop down to verse 20. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? Look at verse 23. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. So this is not common sense, is it? Do we all know smart people who do very foolish things? Yes, we do. By the way, would common sense ever lead us to see our troubles and our difficulties as beneficial and helpful? Would common sense ever teach us that? You see, the longer that they go on and the more difficult they are, 
The more tempted we are to complain, to grumble, to doubt God, to resent what we have been called to bear, and to react immaturely. And that is not wisdom. And so this wisdom can only come from God as it's taught in His Word. Thirdly, this wisdom is Christ-like. He is the standard. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for just a moment. And I want you to notice what Paul says about wisdom in verse 24 and verse 30. Look what he says, verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And then look at verse 30. And because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The Bible says that Christ is the wisdom of God. He said, I am the truth. And so when we ask for wisdom, we are asking to be like Christ. We are asking to have His mind, to think like He would think, to react like He would react. He is always the standard. And isn't it wonderful? Christ is revealed right here. Christ is revealed right here. Now secondly, James tells us that there's another lesson. A second lesson is we must request from the Lord of wisdom. Did you notice that is very carefully here the second step? First of all, realize that, that you don't have it, you lack it. But then go to the Lord who has the wisdom and request it from Him. He says, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. Without reproach. Do you know right here we are being declared and revealed the nature of God. Sometimes we, we, we view God in the wrong way. Particularly we think in hardship that God is not there. And we think if God was with me, then this wouldn't be happening to me. Now, we know better from uh, the study of our Bibles, but I want to tell you, in those times of trial, we question that in our hearts and in our emotions. And James says to us, listen, when those times come, you come back here and you say, it's not true, God is a generous God. I, I, I remember many years ago being at a concert. And this guy up front who was leading the weekend kept saying, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And he kept saying it, and saying it, and saying it, and saying it. And I got so annoyed at this guy. Why is he constantly saying, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good? And then finally, I stopped complaining, and I thought, you know what? He's right. (laughs) Would you say it with me? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is 
is good. Do you know this phrase here in James, there's two ways to translate it? My Bible has, let him ask God who gives generously. But another way to translate it is, let him ask the giving God. If you happen to have the Amplified Version, that's the way the Amplified Version translates it. Let him ask of the giving God. God's very nature is to give. And the word giving there is present tense, which suggests that it is continuous. God is constantly giving. Now, you know the difference between the believer and the unbeliever? The unbeliever thinks God has a clenched fist, a closed hand. The believer knows God has an open hand. That's what the believer knows. You see, we know Romans 8.32 If God delivered up His own Son for us, how will He not with Him freely give us how many things? All things. God does not have a clenched fist. He has an open hand. He is the giving God. Now, notice that this is so important to James that he expands on this. By the way, isn't this one of the two of the most wonderful words you've ever seen? God's generosity. Aren't those two wonderful words? And look at how he says he gives. He gives equally. It is for all. This isn't just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's not for Bible college students alone. It's it's not for those who have reached a, a high level of spiritual maturity. He says it's for all. Notice that God gives sincerely, sincerely. The word generously here, it means singly. It means one way. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about having a single eye. And the idea here is when it says God gives generously, it means with single motive, He gives to wealth for the welfare of the asker, to further the spiritual welfare of the person who is asking. So God does not have ulterior motives. He doesn't give so that He can get something in return. That's not His motive He gives wisdom for our spiritual benefit. And then notice James says, He gives eagerly. I love that. Without reproach. If you have the New International Version, it says, He gives without finding fault. God doesn't criticize us or scold us. He doesn't say, Hey, I just helped you last week. He doesn't say, why didn't you come sooner? Uh, He doesn't say to us, "Uh, you know, you've, you've really messed up, and now you turn to me? Are you kidding me? The Lord never says to us when we come, well, I'm sorry. It's just a little too late. 
It's just a little too late. No. No. He is eager to give us the wisdom that we need. During his ministry, Pastor Warren Wiersbe said that one of his secretaries, who was a very gifted woman, was going through a very difficult time. She'd had a stroke. Her husband went blind. They were soon going to have to put him in the hospital where they knew he would die. And this was a very, very difficult time. One Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Wearsby saw his secretary and, and said to her, I'm praying for you. She said to him, what are you, what are you, what are you praying for? He was kind of surprised by that. He said to her, well, I'm praying that you may have the strength and the help you need to cope with this trial. You know what she said? She said, I appreciate that. But would you pray one more thing? Would you pray that I will have the wisdom not to waste all of this? Are we wasting our trials? Are we? Are they doing us no good? They don't have to. Because the generous God that we believe in gives equally, sincerely, and eagerly. Isn't that an amen this morning? Do I pray that way? Lord, pray that I will have the wisdom not to waste the trials I'm going through. Now, there's a third lesson here. Thirdly, James says we must realize the limit on wisdom. We must realize the limit on wisdom. But, he says, but, but, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways. Do you know what James is saying here? He is saying we can limit God. I've just followed two of the most wonderful words in, that we can ever hear, God's generosity, with three of the most difficult words we can ever hear, don't limit God. One of the saddest statements I've ever read. You see, we can limit God. Now, not His sovereign purposes or plan, nor His eternal decree. The Bible says the Lord sits in the heavens, He does as He pleases, 
No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We can never limit God's sovereign decree. But we can limit his purposes in our lives by rejecting his wisdom for our own wisdom. Look at the cross in this slide. Think of all that Jesus has done for us. And the Bible says, if if the Lord delivered up His own Son for us, how will He not freely give us with Him all the things that we need? But here's the sad reality. We can limit God in our lives. Now, how do we do that? Well, James is very clear. He says lack of trust will limit God. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. The Bible consistently lays down this principle for answered prayer. Trust in God is required for answered prayer. Do you know when we trace the word faith in the New Testament, we we find it has three elements. Just jot these down in your mind because this is very important. This is the faith that is necessary to receive wisdom from God. First of all, faith is a firm conviction that God's Word is reliable and true. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our message came to you with full conviction. Secondly, faith is a personal surrender to the Lord. John 1.12 describes faith as believing in Him, and then the synonym there is receiving Him. So it is a surrender to the Lord. And then thirdly, faith is a conduct directed by such surrender. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me just give you those three elements again. Here's what faith is. A firm conviction that God's word is reliable and true. A personal surrender to the Lord and then a conduct directed by such surrender. You know what that kind of faith does? It holds on to God in the midst of testing. That kind of faith gives us confidence in the Lord despite our circumstances. That lack of faith limits God. Limits his wisdom. Notice the second thing that limits God. Double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. James says here, let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. Now, I want to be very clear here. This has nothing to do with doubting whether or not God can do something or not. This has nothing to do with young faith, weak faith, or faltering faith. Did you know 
There is an honest doubt. Remember the man who said, Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There is an honest doubt. That's not what is being described here. James explains exactly what he means with two descriptions. Number one, he describes the doubter as a double-minded man. This is literally a man who is two-souled, a two-souled man. And it describes the doubter's inner attitude. The doubter that James is talking about acts like there are two souls or persons in his body that are in constant conflict. The one is turned toward God, but the other is turned towards the world. One Bible teacher says about this person, he is a walking civil war in which trust and distrust wage a continual battle in Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan calls this man or woman Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. You know what I call him? I call him the fence sitter. The fence sitter. One foot firmly planted in the world, wanting to go that way. Another foot attempting to be planted in God, wanting to go that way. And Mr. Facing both ways is in a civil war within himself. It's as though there are two persons within his body and he is the fence-sitter wanting to go in two different directions. Now the second description is of this person is he is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, Years ago, Al and I were out in Lake Michigan on a tour boat. We were with a number of our friends, and it was very, very rough. And one of the things you may know is um, uh, storms on the Great Lakes can actually be more choppy than on the ocean because the Great Lakes are uh, contained. And so the choppy waves out on the Great Lakes go up and down, This way and that way. In fact, uh, people who are expert sailors tell me that the storms out on the Great Lakes can give you four-dimensional instability. Up and down, this way, that way. The doubter that he describes here is like that. Unstable in all his ways, says James. You know what this means? The doubter has no solid conviction in God that keeps him or her on a steady course. He is led about by his desires and what he feels is good or right. He may say that he wants to do the right thing, but when faced with what that is, 
He says that won't work. Every pastor will tell you that there are people that come to him for advice who are like this. They will talk about God. They may talk about spiritual things and and they believe the Bible. But then when you show them what the Bible says about the problem they're dealing with, they say, well, that won't work. Or they do not follow through. And they can never be depended upon to do the right thing, especially when the right thing is the hard thing, because they are vacillating. They've never really settled they want the wisdom of God even if it goes against the grain of their life. Could I stop here and make a couple of applications? Today is Father's Day. If you're a father, do not be like this. Your family needs somebody who is firm, resolute, and trusts God. They need a husband and a father who will follow a clear spiritual direction and follow that direction no matter what. My father was a man who had many flaws. But one thing that he was not flawed in was I always knew exactly the direction he was going. I knew that he was a Christ follower who despite his faults would always lead our family to follow the Lord and I never had to ask any question on any day that I woke up, where is dad going today? I always knew the direction in our family. Fathers, do not say you believe God and then not make the hard choices to follow Him. Do not put the world first and the Lord second. That is double-mindedness. Let me speak to Young people today, don't be a crowd pleaser. Do not show up at youth group, all spiritual and pious and all ears, and then during the week follow another crowd and do and say things that you know displease God. Do not be two-faced with God. Mark it down right here. If we are two-faced with God, we limit Him. 
God is a God who gives generously, He gives singly, with one motive. And God is a God who wants us to follow Him singly, with one motive. Double-mindedness will limit Him every time. There was a, a wonderful missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones who ministered for many, many years in India. He became very famous. There was a book written about him, An Ordinary Man, Extraordinary Mission. And he said many, many helpful things. One of the most helpful is this statement that he made. Look at it. If you don't make up your mind, then your unmade mind will unmake you. God can do anything for the man who has made up his mind. He can do little or nothing for the double-minded. Isn't that a glorious truth? God can do anything for the one who has made up his mind. No matter how ordinary we may be, we can live an extraordinary life because God's wisdom is available if we've made up our minds to seek it. Remember how we began? Oh God, my little wisdom is cast at your feet. My little judgment is given to you. That's how to have God's wisdom. Let's thank Him for that, shall we? Just before we sing a song that draws our hearts after the Lord, let's let Him speak to us in whatever way He needs to. Have you been, Mr. Facing Both Ways? Have you failed to learn the lesson of the young college student? That the key to gaining God's knowledge and wisdom is to first recognize that you don't have it. You can only get it from Him through His Word as Christ is revealed to us. And when the times are hard and you want to trust what you can see rather than what is revealed and you want to straddle the fence, 
that you will not do that. You'll be firm, resolute, trusting in God, setting a clear spiritual direction that you will follow no matter what. However God is speaking to your heart today, may you respond to Him now. Maybe you've been this way in the past. You've suffered. Maybe your family has suffered. But God is now not a God who chides and scolds you. But he says, if you will wholeheartedly come to me again, I will give eagerly, sincerely, and I will give equally. Lord God, today how special and wonderful you are. Thank you that you've given us your very best when you gave us Jesus. And having given us the best, you will certainly give us the least. And may we not stay your hand. May we not thwart your purposes. May we not lean on our own understanding. But in all of our ways acknowledge you. And you have promised in the good and the bad. You will direct our paths. And so we trust you today. We hear the call of Jesus, come unto me. All who are laboring and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Get in the yoke with me. Learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. Lord Jesus, we get in the yoke with you today. And we stay in the yoke that we may find the rest you want for our souls. For Jesus' sake, we thank you in his name. Amen.